In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. Nice to see all of you here today. Nice to be seen by those who are watching online. I hope that you have enjoyed the last seven weeks we spent in the book of Ephesians. hope it was a blessing to you. hope it helped you live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, today, really for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to focus on the lectionary text, and, and today especially the gospel passage from Mark 7, which I have to say is not easier. If you have been waiting to leave the hard lines of, of St. Paul into the soft hands of Jesus, uh, this is not a great passage for that. Uh, this is... Uh, if we were doing a, hard, uh, a series on the hard sayings of Jesus, this would be a good candidate passage for, the, for that list. Uh, Jesus gets questioned about why his disciples are not washing their hands before they eat, which to us is going to seem like a very fair and mild question. And Jesus goes from that fair and mild question to quoting the prophet Isaiah and then talking about fornication and theft and murder, and on and on, all coming out of a person's heart. It might seem at first blush like Jesus' reaction is overblown. It's just hand-washing Jesus, right? I think that if we look more closely at what is really going on, we find a passage that is incredibly relevant to us as our lives are actually lived, and which leads us inevitably to the wonderful good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So by way of introduction, I, I wonder if any of you have had to go through a medical misdiagnosis. Maybe you've known someone, a medical misdiagnosis. Uh, it happens a lot more than we might hope. You can find out a lot about it on the internet. Uh, obviously, the reason that misdiagnosis is so dangerous is that the patient receives treatment that is not helping the actual problem. Uh, for instance, I read a story about a woman who had shortness of breath. She had just moved to the, uh, this area, new, new to her area. She had shortness of breath, so she went to a new doctor. He prescribed her an inhaler to help with seasonal allergies, new stuff, you know, new stuff in the air. The shortness of breath continued, it persisted, it got worse, so she went back to the doctor, more tests and more tests and more tests. Finally, after months, she was diagnosed with an enlarged heart. And it almost killed her. It, all, not, it didn't, thankfully, in this situation, but it almost did. The inhaler would have helped a different problem, but it wasn't helping the real problem. The doctors fundamentally misunderstood the problem, and so the solutions they were trying weren't solving anything. And this is, in fact, what is happening in Mark 7, except on a spiritual level. So what we see on a spiritual level is that misdiagnosis leads to wrong prescriptions. The proper diagnosis leads to the only sufficient treatment. Misdiagnosis leads to wrong prescriptions. Proper diagnosis leads to the only sufficient treatment. Just for a little background context, these Pharisees were very fastidious folks. Right? Very clean. And clean is a good thing. 
but you may remember that in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, and really going back uh, to um, the time of Moses, clean and unclean were ritual designations. And they were designations to determine whether or not you were fit to worship in public. Clean and unclean did not have to do with dirt and grime so much as with certain commandments, most of which, as I understand it, had to do with public health and therefore uh, had to do with the welfare of the community around them. For instance, if you had leprosy or some other skin disease, you were considered unclean until you were healed. Couldn't be in the crowds. Uh, If you came into contact with a dead body, that might have some harmful bacteria or something that developed. Couldn't be in the crowds. Or if you ate bacon, they might have gotten that one wrong. I don't know. Life was hard. But uh, the, the reasons for why these things made someone temporarily, ritually unclean were mostly logical in a society that was essentially pre-medical. Pre-medical. So if you were unclean for whatever reason, you had to stay away from large groups of people. It was social distancing. And, and to be in unclean was not intended necessarily to be a moral designation. Although you can imagine sometimes it felt like that, being isolated and such. But what it seems is that over time, the Pharisees and their famous religious zeal went all in on cleanness, making in practice all cleanliness to be ritual cleanness. So if you didn't wash your hands or wash your pots, you couldn't go to church. And it wasn't scriptural, and they knew it. They said it there. It's, it's the tradition of the elders. It was just a, a human tradition. But they must have thought if God was happy with them following a few rules, just think how happy God would be with obeying a lots of rules. Lots of rules. So when they asked Jesus about the disciples not washing their hands before eating, they're not really concerned with the disciples' physical health. They're not really even so concerned that it's gross or unsanitary. They think it's unholy. It's unholy. They're concerned that Jesus' disciples aren't following the rules and God doesn't like it when you don't follow the rules. So these Pharisees are saying. So here's why I say that spiritual misdiagnosis leads to wrong prescriptions. The Pharisees were right in the the fact that there there is a problem between us and God. God is holy and we are not. They were right about that. But they misdiagnosed the problem of our unholiness as simply a matter of our behavior. If we can just get these people to obey the rules, do this and do this and do this, like prescription, prescription, prescription. If we can just get them to obey the rules, that'll fix the problem. Now i got to say, this approach is reasonable. We take the same approach all the time. We do it in parenting. Just obey for crying out loud. I don't care if you don't want to do it. You know, just, just would it kill you to do something I ask once in a while? I'm working out my own stuff in this sermon. It's not... We do it in marriage. If she would just stop nagging, then our marriage would be okay. If he would just pick up his underwear off the floor... And how about closing a cabinet every now and then? 
then I'd be happy. That's somebody else's marriage, not my own. But uh, change the behavior, fix the problem. Or how about if they would just wear a mask? Or if they would just shut up about me wearing a mask? Or how about all the ways that we do this to ourselves? If I could just make a certain amount of money, then my father will finally approve. If I could just get that promotion, then I really feel like I've accomplished something. If, uh, if I can just lose the weight, if I, can just, um, if I can just impress those friends, or whatever it is. We do it to ourselves all the time. So let me ask you, in your experience as a parent, as a spouse, as a co-worker, as a friend, have you ever made behavioral demands that have ultimately fixed the problem? Has anyone ever made demands of you and actually repaired the relationship? It's just me again, but when, when someone makes demands like this of me, I, my immediate reaction is defensiveness and or resentment, almost always. I wonder if you have uh, if you've ever done what was demanded of you, but with an exasperated groan and an eye roll. Ugh. Jesus has such an elevated response to the Pharisees, not because they're talking about clean hands, but because they have completely misdiagnosed the problem between us and God. And so their solutions, extra rules to follow, they're not going to fix the problem. They're not going to help anyone with actual holiness. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah to them to say that, in fact, the problem is much deeper than they realize. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And we might hear that, I think, as, as accusation, but it is diagnosis. It's diagnosis. It's truth-telling. It is a plea for sober realization from the one who loves our hearts the most. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Now let me tell you, it is good to honor the Lord with your lips. It's good. But our hearts are the problem. Not our words. Not our actions. Now, sometimes our words and our actions are symptoms. They need to be cleaned up too. But the problem between us and God is our heart. And I don't know about you, but I sure know what it is like to honor God with my lips but have my heart be far from Him. I mean, I would say that's part and parcel with the human condition. You know, and, and I know that you know what it's like. We come in here and we're singing the songs, but we're still fuming over the argument we had in the car on the way to church. Or we're praying the prayers, but we're thinking about the game, or we're thinking about the big meeting we have coming up this week. We got the outside right, man. We're looking good. We got our clothes pressed. We got our smiles in place. We're praying the right prayers and saying the right words, and we're just, we're here. That's good. We honor the Lord with our lips. That's a good thing. But it has not changed the fact 
that our hearts are far from him. And for me, and you can speak for yourself, but for me, no amount of scrubbing on the outside is going to bring my heart closer. And we know it. We know it. And so we're going to do everything we can, especially at church, to keep people from seeing what we know is actually going on in our hearts. Now let me tell you, that's, that may not be your experience today. I'm not trying to create uh, despair where there isn't any. You may feel especially close to the Lord today, and that is terrific. I celebrate that with you. But we all know this experience. We all know it. You honor me with your lips, but you're just going through the motions. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts aren't in it. They're far from me. This is the proper diagnosis, and yet Jesus presses further even. I mean, even eating a little dirt from grimy hands, eh, it's gross. It doesn't make you unclean. Not in a ritual sense, anyway. It might make you sick. It doesn't make you unfit for worship. But Jesus says, what makes us unrighteous, and therefore what makes us unknowable to a holy God, is what comes up out of our hearts. And he lists it out. You just think about this list. Thoughts, words, and deeds. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. Wickedness. Deceit. Envy. Slander. Pride. Folly. None of us escapes that list. We're on the list. You are, and I am, like a bunch of times. It's the proper diagnosis, and it hurts. I mean, we don't like it when the doctor comes in and says, I got some bad news. I mean, the attractive thing about the Pharisees telling the disciples to wash their hands is that, you know what? We can wash our hands. Wouldn't it be great if that solved the problem between us and God? Just wash the hands, fix the outside. But God looks on the inside. And the problem is that God sees what's really there. And when we'd love, I think, sometimes to just ignore it, sweep it under the rug, be told that we're great, but we know the stuff is still down there. And saying stop it doesn't change that fact. And we know that. I mean, like I've said before, we don't, we don't come to church for affirmation. We come for absolution. And to hear again and again that there is a sufficient treatment. So I heard a story this week about a well-meaning preacher. I think he was probably um, a younger uh, preacher at a purity conference. Now, I don't, they don't do that these much anymore, but especially, man, they were big in the 90s, busting a bunch of youth groups, and trying to convince the teenagers to commit to sexual purity. Uh, that is, to maintain their virginity until marriage. And let me say, that is a wonderful goal. It's a wonderful goal. God gave sex to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in marriage. It's a great goal. But the, what was the message for this preacher? Don't do it. Don't do it. And the preacher tried to make his point by uh, taking a rose 
maybe you've seen this. In fact, I had somebody that after the 915 said I was in that talk. <laughs> Took the rose. Oh, it's a beautiful rose, and it just smells so good. It's so soft. Here, feel it. Touch it. And they pass it around all, the, all around, uh, all around the, the room. Touch it. Do whatever you want to the rose. Feel it. Smell it. Just touch it. See how soft it is. And, of course, it came back, and he knew it would. All bruised and crumpled petals off and he said this is what happens when you pass yourself around he said who would want this who would want this and you know what I mean he, meet, he meant it as a word of warning right he was he wanted holiness like the Pharisees he wanted holiness but what happened the eyes of nearly every teenager in that room fell and their hearts sank because they knew what they would never tell this preacher. Probably no preacher at that point. It's too late. They were not the pretty and untouched rose. They were the broken rose already. But when he said, who would want this? He was a guest preacher at the church where it's the host. The pastor from the church yelled out from the back of the church, Jesus wants that rose. And this wave of relief swept over the room and the crowd cheered. Jesus wants that rose. Now, I don't know what happened to the rest of that talk, but I know this. I know that Jesus did not come to tell us not to be broken. He came because we're broken. He did not come to tell us to wash up. He came to wash us up. He did not come to tell us to purify ourselves. He came to purify us by His own blood, by His own grace, by His own love. I mean, if we could fix the problem, if we could fix ourselves, we wouldn't need a Savior. We just need a good example. But we cannot fix it. That's the true and proper diagnosis. Like the doctor who finally told the woman that she had an enlarged heart and heart failure. When we know the proper diagnosis, we can finally get the right treatment. And Jesus gives the proper diagnosis and Jesus is the right treatment. Whether the issue uh, is for use, greed or sex or pride or jealousy or whatever it is, Jesus says, I'm going to be the broken rose and you can have my purity. I'm going to take your sin and your, uh, I'm going to say, take your shame. I'm going to take your unrighteousness. I want you to have my wholeness and my joy. I'm going to take death on the cross. You take eternal life. The gospel God's grace is for actual people like you and me. And so with dirty hands and broken roses, we say thank you, God, for a wonderful Savior. Amen.